0: Section 2 of Celebrated Crimes, Volume 5 by Alexander Dumont. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Celebrated Crimes, Volume 5 by Alexander Dumont. Section 2. This boy left an orphan at three years old, had been brought up at first by a relation who turned him out for theft, afterwards by two sisters, his cousins, who were already beginning to take alarm at his abnormal perversity. This pale and fragile being, an incorrigible thief, a consummate hypocrite, and a cold-blooded assassin, was predestined to an immortality of crime, and was to find a place among the most execrable, Monsters for whom humanity has ever had to blush. His name was Antoine Francois de Ruse. Twenty years had gone by since this horrible and mysterious event, which no one sought to unravel at the time it occurred. One June evening, seventeen seventy one, four persons were sitting in one of the rooms of a modestly furnished dwelling on the third floor of a house in the Rue Saint-Victor. The party consisted of three women and an ecclesiastic, who boarded for meals only, with the woman who tenanted the dwelling. The other two were near neighbors. They were all friends, and often met thus in the evening to play cards. They were sitting round the card table, but although it was nearly ten o'clock, the cards had not yet been touched. They spoke in low tones and a half interrupted confidence had, this evening, put a check on the usual gaiety. Someone knocked gently at the door, although no sound of steps on the creaking wooden staircase had been heard, and a wheedling voice asked for admittance. The occupier of the room, Madame LeGrand, rose and admitted a man of about six and twenty, at whose appearance the four friends exchanged glances, at once observed by the newcomer, who affected, however, not to see them. He bowed successfully to the three women, and several times, with the utmost respect to the abbey, made signs of apology for the interruption caused by his appearance. Then, coughing several times, he turned to Madame Legrand, and said in a feeble voice, which seemed to betoken much suffering, My kind mistress, will you and these other ladies excuse my presenting myself at such an hour and in such a costume? I am ill, and I was obliged to get up. His costume was certainly singular enough. He was wrapped in a large dressing gown of flowered chintz. His head was adorned by a nightcap, drawn up at the top and surmounted by a muslin frill. His appearance did not contradict his complaint of illness. He was barely four feet six in height. His limbs were bony, his face sharp, thin, and pale. Thus attired, coughing incessantly, dragging his feet as if he had no strength to lift them, holding a lighted candle in one hand and an egg in the other, he suggested a caricature of some imaginary invalid just escaped from impergon. Nevertheless, no one ventured to smile, notwithstanding his valetudinarian appearance, and his air of affected humility. The perpetual blinking of the yellow eyelids, which fell over the round and hollow eyes, shining with a somber fire which he could never entirely suppress, reminded one of a bird of prey unable to face the light, and the lines of his face the hooked nose, and the thin, constantly quivering, drawn-in lips, suggested a mixture of boldness and baseness, of cunning and sincerity. But there is no book which can instruct one to read the human countenance correctly, and some special circumstance must have roused the suspicions of these four persons so much as to cause them to make these observations— and they were not, as usual, deceived by the humbug of the skilled actor, a past master in the art of deception. He continued after a moment's silence, as if he did not wish to interrupt their mute observation. "'Will you oblige me by a neighborly kindness?' "'What is it, Deruse?' asked Madame Legrand. "'A violent cough, which appeared to rend his chest,' prevented him from answering immediately. When it ceased, he looked back at the abbey and said, with a melancholy smile, "'What I ought to ask in my present state of health is your blessing, my father, and your intercession for the pardon of my sins. But every one clings to the life which God has given him. We do not easily abandon hope. Moreover,' I have always considered it wrong to neglect such means of preserving our lives as are in our power, since life is for us only a time of trial, and the longer and harder the trial, the greater our recompense in a better world. Whatever befalls us, our answer should be that of the Virgin Mary to the angel who announced the mystery of the Incarnation. Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. You're right, said the Abbey, with a severe and inquisitorial look, under which Derues remained quite untroubled. It is an attribute of God to reward and to punish, and the Almighty is not deceived by him who deceives men. The psalmist has said, Righteous art thou, O Lord, and upright are thy judgments. He said, also, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether, DeRuse promptly replied. This exchange of quotations from Scripture might have lasted for hours without his being at a loss, had the Abbey thought fit to continue in this strain. But such a style of conversation, garnished with grave and solemn words, seemed almost sacrilegious in the mouth of a man of such ridiculous appearance profanation at once sad and grotesque derues seemed to comprehend the impression it produced and turning again to madame legrand he said we have gotten a long way from what i came to ask you my kind friend I, i was so ill that i went early to bed but i cannot sleep and i have no fire would you have the kindness to have this egg mauled for me Cannot the servant do that for you? asked Madame Legrand. I gave her leave to go out this evening, and though it is late, she has not yet returned. If I had a fire, I would not give you so much trouble, but I do not care to light one at this hour. You know I am always afraid of accidents, and they so easily happen. Very well, then, replied Madame Legrand. Go back to your room and My servant will bring it to you. Thank you, said Derues, bowing. Many thanks. As he turned to depart, Madame Legrand spoke again. This day, week, Derues, you have to pay me half the twelve hundred livres you do for the purchase of my business. So soon as that? Certainly, and I want the money. "'Have you forgotten the date, then?' "'Oh, dear, I have never looked at the agreement since it was drawn up. "'I did not think the time was so near. "'It is the fault of my bad memory. "'But I will contrive to pay you, although trade is very bad, "'and in three days I shall have to pay more than fifteen thousand livres "'to different people.' "'He bowed again and departed, apparently exhausted by the effort.' sustaining so long a conversation. As soon as they were alone, the abbey claimed, "'That man is assuredly an utter rascal. May God forgive him his hypocrisy. How is it possible we could allow him to deceive us for so long?' "'But my father,' interposed one of the visitors, "'are you really sure of what you have just said?' I am not now speaking of the seventy-nine Ludor which have been stolen from me, although I never mentioned to anyone but you, and he was then present, that I possessed such a sum, and although that very day he made a false excuse for coming to my rooms when I was out. Theft is indeed infamous, but slander is not less so, and he has slandered you disgracefully. Yes, He has spread a report that you, Madame Legrand, you, his former mistress and benefactress, have put temptation in his way and desired to commit carnal sin with him. This is how, whispered the neighborhood all round us, it will soon be said aloud, and we have been so completely his dupes, we have helped him so much to acquire a reputation for uprightness, that it would now be impossible to destroy our own work." If I were to accuse him of theft, and you charged him with lying, probably neither of us would be believed. Beware, these odious tales have not been spread without reason. Now that your eyes are open, beware of him. "'Yes,' replied Madame Legrand, "'my brother-in-law warned me three years ago. One day, Ruse said to my sister-in-law, "'I remember the words perfectly.' I should like to be a druggist, because one would always be able to punish an enemy, and if one has a quarrel with anyone, it would be easy to get rid of him by means of a poisoned draft. I neglected these warnings. I surmounted the feeling of repugnance I first felt at the sight of him. I have responded to his advances, and I greatly fear I may have cause to repent it. But you know him as well as I do, who would not have thought his piety sincere? Who would not still think so? And notwithstanding all you have said, I still hesitate to feel serious alarm. I'm unwilling to believe in such utter depravity. The conversation continued in this strain for some time. And then, as it was getting late, the party separated. Next morning early, a large and noisy crowd was assembled in the Rue Saint-Vator before the shop of drugs and groceries. There was a confusion of cross-questions, of inquiries, which obtained no answer, of answers not addressed to the inquiry, a medley of sound, a pell-mell of unconnected words, of affirmations, contradictions, and interrupted narrations. Here, a group listened to an orator, who held forth in his shirt sleeves. A little farther, there were disputes, quarrels, exclamations of, poor man! "'Such a good fellow! My poor gossip de Ruse Good heavens, what will he do now? Alas, he is quite done for. It is to be hoped his creditors will give him time.' Above all this uproar was heard a voice, sharp and piercing like a cat's, lamenting and relating with sobs the terrible misfortune of last night. At about three in the morning, the inhabitants of the Rue Sambatore had been startled out of their sleep by the cry of, Fire! Fire! A conflagration had burst forth in De Rue's cellar, and though its progress had been arrested and the house saved from destruction, all the goods stored therein had perished. It apparently meant a considerable loss in barrels of oil, casks of brandy, boxes of soap, etc., which Derues estimated at not less than nine thousand leaves. By what unlucky chance the fire had been caused, he had no idea. He recounted his visit to Madame Legrande, and pale, trembling, hardly able to sustain himself, he cried, "'I shall die of grief! A poor man as ill as I am! I am lost! I am ruined!' A harsh voice interrupted his lamentations and drew the attention of the crowd to a woman carrying printed broadsides and who forced a passage through the crowd up to the shop door. She unfolded one of her sheets and cried as loudly and distinctly as her husky voice permitted, Sentence pronounced by the Parliament of Paris against John Robert Castle, accused and convicted of fraudulent bankruptcy. Derues looked up and saw a street hawker who used to come to his shop for a drink, and with whom he had had a violent quarrel about a month previously, she having detected him in a piece of knavery, and abused him roundly in her own style, which was not lacking in energy. He had not seen her since. The crowd generally, and all the gossips of the quarter who held Deruse in great veneration, thought that the woman's cry was intended as an indirect insult, and threatened to punish her for this irreverence. But placing one hand on her hip, and with the other warning off the most pressing by a significant gesture. Are you still befooled by his tricks, fools that you are? Yes, no doubt there was a fire in the cellar last night. No doubt his creditors will be geese enough to let him off paying his debts. But what you don't know is that he didn't really lose by it at all. "'He lost all his goods,' the crowd cried on all sides. "'More than nine thousand livres, "'Oil and brandy, do you think those won't burn?' "'The old witch she drinks enough to know. "'If one put a candle near her, she would take fire fast enough.' "'Perhaps,' replied the woman, with renewed gesticulations. "'Perhaps, but I don't advise any of you to try. "'Anyhow, this fellow here is a rogue. "'He has been emptying his cellar for the last three nights.' There were only old, empty cask in it and empty packing cases. Oh, yes, I have swallowed his daily lies like everybody else, but I know the truth by now. He got his liquor taken away by Michael Lambourne's son, the cobbler in the Rue de la Pommancherie. How do I know? Why? Because the young man came and told me. I turned that woman out of my shop a month ago for stealing said de Notwithstanding this retaliatory accusation, the woman's bold assertion might have changed the attitude of the crowd and chilled the enthusiasm. But at that moment, a stout man pressed forward and, seizing the hawker by the arm, said, Go and hold your tongue, backbiting woman. To this man, the honor de Derues was an article of faith, He had not yet ceased to wonder at the probity of this sainted person, and to doubt it in the least was as good as suspecting his own. "'My dear friend,' he said, "'we all know what to think of you. "'I know you well. "'Send to me to-morrow, "'and you shall have what good you want on credit "'for as long as is necessary. "'Now, evil tongue, what do you say to that?' I say your greatest fool is all the rest. Adieu, friend de Rouse. go on as you have begun, and I shall be selling your sentence some day. And dispersing the crowd with a few twirls of her right arm, she passed on crying Sentence pronounced by the Parliament of Paris against John Robert Castle, accused and convicted of fraudulent bankruptcy. End of section 2.